In my early years, I spent a lot of time with my granny and granddad in Oma in County Tyrone. In my mum's family, emotions or feelings were rarely discussed or shown in the traditional way, but you always knew they wanted and expected the best from me. My parents always had a similar approach with me. They always instilled this get up and go attitude into me. If you really want to achieve something, you can do it. And they always believed in me. But they always made sure I knew I had to work as hard, if not harder, than other people. The truth is, for the most part of my life, I've never thought of myself as disabled or different to anybody else. I always knew I was different, but I've always had a problem with that word. When I think about how I'm different to other people, I always think I just do certain things differently to other people, mainly in the way I get around. I sometimes crawled, I sometimes used a wheelchair, and I used a walker up until I was nine. My entire family has always treated me like they would anybody else. They've always demanded that I give my best efforts to everything I do in life. My education, my physical challenges, the way I treat other people, and my career. For this documentary, I spoke with my granny on my mum's side. My mum is from Tyrone and my dad is from Wicklow. I lived in Tyrone up until I was four. Then I moved to Dublin where I went to primary school and then I moved to Wicklow where I went to secondary school. Obviously you and my granddad had four girls, you didn't have any boys. And when I turned up, I was the first boy, so it must have been pretty special. How did it feel for my granddad in particular? Well, he was delighted. Sure, he went with four girls to have a boy in the family. It kind of felt then that he had somebody else. When I was one and a half, I was brought to the doctor just for a normal checkup. It was there that I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. This came as a bit of a shock to everyone. Your granda had noticed that you weren't crawling in that. You know, like Norm, you did a commando crawl, not like what the girls would have done. We didn't really notice any difference. You just sat, you know, and did a commando crawl. Other than that, we find no difference with you and any other child. To the outsider, and sometimes my friends have said this to me in the past, my mum and dad are too hard on me. I'd agree, maybe at times my mum and dad have been too hard on me. Truth be told, there was a period in my teenage years where I cried quite often, frustrated with my disability and frustrated with my parents' approach. At the time, I saw crying as such a weakness and I hated myself for it. But now I know it's okay to cry and have days where you're fed up with the world. But I've always had this approach you can sit and cry and feel sorry for yourself as long as you want. But in reality, only I'm responsible for how I react to the challenges and difficulties of my disability. I've learned I can only control the controllable. It was harder for you, which would have meant we would have been maybe a bit harder on you because we knew you were capable and you would have went on then and done things. If I was to describe myself in one word, I'd say I'm very resilient. I understand that the world isn't fair. I know I have simple challenges every day that maybe other people don't. My walking is the obvious one, but even simple things like making tea, putting my shoes on, or cooking food for myself. 
At times, this can be very frustrating and it can sometimes make me feel down on myself, but everyone has challenges. Mine are just more visible. I've always been incredibly lucky that I know I can take a knock. I'll always get back up and go again. I've never wanted sympathy from people or people to act differently with me. When people hear about my disability, they often go, I'm sorry, you poor crater. Or when I achieve things, no matter how big or small they are, people often say, isn't he great? Ah, bless him to do that with his disability. I know people are only trying to be nice, but the truth is, I hate when they say things like that. I know when I've achieved something good, but when I achieve something I've achieved it, care on the person, not care on the kid with the disability. I have high standards for myself. I try not to make any excuses. I believe in myself and my ability. But my Irish teacher once told me, talent only gets you so far and the rest is hard work. My mum and dad are hard on me and sometimes this proves challenging. But because they didn't mollycoddle me, I'm very aware of the world around me and I've always been very focused on my goals and for that I'll always be grateful. Anything you put your mind to, you do and you carry it out and that you will do that always because that's the type of you. You've been brought up independent and you are. For this documentary I spoke with Michael McKillop, MBE. He has a mild form of cerebral palsy. He's a middle distance runner who usually competes in the T37, 800 and 1500 meter races. McKillop has won four Paralympic gold medals for Ireland, along with nine world titles. He has represented his country in able-bodied athletics. He hopes to pick up his fifth gold medal in the Tokyo Paralympics. It was great to get the opportunity to speak with him. You have cerebral palsy, but how did that, like, how did your mum and dad find that out and how did it come about? Yeah, um, a year and 10 months, I fell down the stairs um, and kind of a couple of days after, my parents kind of noticed um, that I was walking with a limp um, and then kind of a couple of months later, they noticed that I wasn't really using my right arm. Um, they had brought me to the hospital when I had obviously fallen down the stairs. They're not that bad. Um, and basically the doctor had said, oh, he's fine. And then they brought him back a month and brought me back a month later because they said that I wasn't changing. I'm still walking with a limp. Um, and they, the consultant said, uh, it's just a habit. Um, he's probably copied it off someone or he's seen it on TV and he's just trying to to, to basically recreate that. Um, and then I think it was another like 10 months after that appointment. Um, we got another appointment with a consultant and um, I walked in as two years and 10 months just happy-go-lucky and uh, the consultant turned around to my parents and just basically said your son's either had a stroke or he's got cerebral palsy and just like that uh, my parents life has kind of changed and my life too because I went from technically being an able-bodied child uh, yeah. that was uh, making up me walking on my toes to being disabled and my parents having a disabled child and I think for any person for any family or any parent that they, they don't want to have a disabled child um, you want your your kid to be healthy and thing, but it was now a chance for them to give me the best possible life. They didn't know what was going to happen with my cerebral palsy. Um, the kind of the longer it went on, the the doctor basically said, 
we're unsure. He might end up in a wheelchair. He might up on crutches. He, we, we just don't know. And it all depends on how he develops over the next couple of years and um, what intervent, uh, interventions we, we, we can um, give him uh, and try on him. Um, and yeah, I've been, I, I personally would say I'm qu- quite lucky with the severity of my disability. Um, and I've been kind of blessed with the mildest kind of form. Um, and yeah. When I was nine, I had operations on both my legs where my muscles were cut and lengthened, followed by six weeks in a cast. I had to undergo very painful and traumatic physio, which was very rewarding in the longer term. I now can walk unaided and with the use of sticks when walking in unknown territory. For so long, my sole focus was to someday walk unaided. It was something that consumed my thoughts every day. I didn't know how it was going to be possible or how I'd ever do it, but I made a promise to myself that I'd do it and it kept me focused and kept me going. Every birthday, the candles would be lit on my cake. My mum and dad would say, make a wish. My wish was always the same every year, that I'll walk unaided someday. Up until my operation, I could only crawl inside my house and I used a walker in school. When my cast came off, my dad and granny put me through my paces and made sure I did all my exercises. This was torture, physically and mentally for me. I wasn't too fond of my granny or dad either for putting me through this pain. I remember one day when I was learning to bend my legs again, I was sitting on my couch with my legs in a bent position. The pain was unbearable. I was starving. My granny put a sandwich in front of me and she said, If you want to eat, you can eat it sitting like that. That was a serious challenge. But my dad always said he didn't raise me to be soft, constantly reminding me, no pain, no gain. Anyway, I got through that extremely difficult period of my life and I did learn how to walk unaided. The feeling was surreal. I now use crutches in most outdoor settings, but I walk unaided indoors and places I feel comfortable. My friends joke that I walk like a bit of a dinosaur but I set my goal and I achieved it. It was a great mental victory. I mean, it'd been easy to leave you sitting in a wheelchair. It'd have been a handy way out, taking you places and that. But that's not what we all wanted for you. We wanted you to, and your determination, because the only thing that you have to do it, people can tell you what to do, but unless it's in you to do it, you won't do it. Everyone is different. No two people are exactly the same. Everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. Michael and I may have the same disability, but even we're different. It was interesting to hear his perspective on this. Yeah, no, 100%. Like you said, we have the same disability, but we're completely two different people with two different stories. We have two different visual um, aspects of our disability because the third aspect is cerebral palsy would be someone that is in a wheelchair that can't physically talk, can't feed themselves, but it just shows you the the, the dynamics of what cerebral palsy can mean. Um, and it's obviously how much of the brain that is affected by by the condition. And like you said, um, there's not much difference in it, but whenever you put down a perspective, 
um, every single person on the street is different and everyone has different qualities. Everyone has negatives, um, but it's about taking your, your positives on board and just accepting that the fact that you are different and it's okay to be different and that living your life to the best possible way you can do, um, performing the best you can, that's all you can do. And that's what I learned kind of when I got bullied in school and my parents kind of encouraged me to go back. And I said, no, I don't want to go back because they, they, they made me feel like it's okay to be different. And that as from such a young age, I understood that and, and accepting that at a young age made my life probably a lot easier because I just forgot about what the, the bullies were saying, what other people just negatively talked about me. I think it's the way you're brought up, Karen. If you're brought up very independent and that you can cope no matter what happens, you, you just, there's one of two things you can do. You can lie down and say, oh, that's me, or you can get up and go on. So you have to get up and go on. Despite going down to 14 men, Ireland have worked their way into the West 22. Marita Byrne. Byrne makes yet another good carry. The ball is recycled quickly. Murray to Sexton. Sexton changes the direction of attack. Henshaw bursts up the middle, beating two tacklers. He offloads to Van der Fleer. Van der Fleer, oh, he stretches. He's about half a metre short. Byrne gets the try. Ireland now lead 11-6. What a response. My primary school class talent show every Christmas was always a funny one. My classmates would showcase their many talents. Dancing, singing, juggling, or doing magic tricks. And then there would be me. I'd sit in the middle of the class, and like a madman I'd pretend I was commentating on Dublin versus Tyrone in the All-Ireland Football Final. I'd sit there for about 10 minutes, commentating on a game that was solely made up in my imagination. It's a bit wacky when I think about it now, but everyone always loved it, so I did it every year. Sports was always my passion. I enjoyed watching most sports, but rugby and GAA were always and still are my two favourites. I followed Tyrone from a very young age. To this day, despite living in Wicklow for most of my life, I'm still an avid Tyrone fan. Well, your mum always had a great interest in Tyrone. She never missed a match. So when you were tiny, she would have taken you to every Tyrone match. Likewise, when you went to Dublin, your father took you to Coke Park every time the Tyrone were playing. So you've always followed Tyrone. But even before that, when you were small, you had always such a great interest in football cards. And you could have told, if he showed you a picture of a footballer, you could have told him any caps he has, and you could have told everything. Rugby would be my specialised sport. Growing up, I used to spend my Saturdays on the sideline, watching my dad play for Bective Rangers. When did you realise I first had a passion for sport? Well, Kieran, I first realised you had a love and passion for sport Way back when I was still playing rugby, senior rugby with Bective Rangers, um, you were probably around four years of age and you used to come and watch me in the All-Ireland League at Donnybrook Stadium um, and you'd be able to hear yourself shouting words of encouragement to me and my teammates um, from the stands um, and also the odd argument with some of the Alicadoos there as to whether the ball was knocked on or not. Rugby was always such an important part of my life. My dad's family all loved the game, and my dad and uncles were all good players in their own right. I was always really close with my uncles Paul and Patrick. I looked up to everything they and my dad did, so I guess that made me love the game even more. Do you think my constant involvement in rugby team environments has helped me? 
yes, it would have. Yes, because um, because you've got a very good. You're you're a good character with a very good personality. So I think with any team sport, there's a lot of team bonding and banter. And because you've been in a lot of inside groups, going back to when I was playing, a lot of the lads would have brought you into the dressing room after matches. Then you were Joe Duffy got you very involved with the schools team in school, um, and you used to do a lot of work with them and travel to all the matches and give them motivation and feedback. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think certainly um, that personality and character that you have will help you in your chosen career going forward. I used to drive my mum mad. I used to tell her, Mum, someday I'll be playing full forward for Tyrone or playing scrum half for Ireland. One day, my mum snapped. Look, Kieran, I'm sick of you constantly saying that. Realistically, it'll never happen. That hurt a lot and I remember roaring crying afterwards. Look, the truth is, I wasn't stupid. I knew my mum was right and I knew that for a long time. But I just liked imagining it. But once I fully accepted that it probably won't happen, I had to adapt my dream. I tried my hand at a few Paralympic sports throughout the years, and I was quite good at some of them, but I never really pushed on. I wanted to stick with my rugby and GA, so I decided at a pretty young age I'd become a sports journalist when the time was right. I had to get over the fact I wouldn't be able to partake in the sports I love in the conventional way, but I thought of it as... If I can make it as a top quality sports journalist, that's the next best thing. Do you think my inability to play the game affected my knowledge in any way? Uh, no, not in the slightest. Um, I can recall, you know, when you were again when you were young, um, coming to the rugby matches, and you were able to give an opinion on who played well, who didn't play well, um, where we could improve. Um, and uh, you know even all the other players and, and the coaches used to enjoy um, listening to your opinion and your views after the match in the, in, in the bar after the match um, and it wasn't just rugby um, you also even at that young age you had a very good knowledge of uh, Gaelic football Now I'm in my last semester of my journalism degree I've stayed focused on my goal during this period, I've written for various rugby and GA sites. I've had an article published in the national newspaper. I've had my own local rugby podcast. I've interviewed some high-profile people, such as RTE pundit Richie Sadler. For this documentary, I interviewed four-time Paralympic champion Michael McKillop, the only woman to do every Dublin marathon, Mary Hickey, and former Irish rugby player Bernard Jackman, who's been a good support to me in my career today, and he backs me all the way. I've yet to try out commentary, but I'm still very young and it's still one of my goals. This is only the beginning, as I will continue to improve. Maybe one day I actually will be commentating on an All-Ireland final. This time it'll be for real and not just in my imagination. During the first lockdown, I walked 25k without the use of my crutches. I raised over 28,000 euro to be shared between Enable Ireland and the St. Vincent's Foundation. It was an incredibly tough challenge. Do you think for other people with disabilities I can set a good example in what I achieve in my life and what I do? Well, if people knew what you went through from you were tiny, 
they would know how capable you are and it doesn't matter what disability you have as i say we don't bash you have a disability but if anybody has one they know that they can get over it if they want you have to put your mind to it and say i'm going to do this and do it which you approved this whole documentary isn't me trying to say oh look at me and what i've achieved while having a disability aren't i great I don't want to be heroized for my achievements and many people with my condition or conditions like mine are the same. As I said before, I generally don't think of myself as someone who has a disability. I'm just a person with different difficulties to maybe the ones the next person has. The only difference is most of my difficulties are visible. Like we always said, uh, we're individuals, we're all different and my story is my journey and no one like, for instance, I spoke at a conference and I, I kind of was talking to a family and there was a queue of uh, parents behind wanting to talk to me after. And I basically said to, to one of the parents, the worst thing you can do is muddy cuddle or kind of bubble wrap your kid because they have cerebral palsy in case they get hurt or anything like that. The one thing I loved about what my parents did was they allowed me to go and do whatever I wanted. They allowed me to fall over. They just wiped away the blood and told me to keep on running around and doing whatever I wanted. And and that for me was the one thing that I seen that the next parent came on and she, she was in tears. And I was kind of like, did I say something? Or she's got upset. And she was like, that's me. I'm that parent. Um, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable with putting my kid in that situation that he might hurt himself or that he might do this or might do that. And I was just saying, he's not going to learn otherwise. And you have to give him that chance to learn himself. Um, and I think over the years, I don't want people to feel like they have to do what I do, but I just want to give them the guidance that I can or give them my experience so that they can feel comfortable in what they do or what they do for their kid. Um, and try because that's all you can do in life is try and yeah. that's the only way you'll find out if you can do something or not and uh, that's all I've tried to do over the last number of years is, is, is showcase to people that it is okay to be different it is okay to experience things in a different way it is okay to do things differently like I can't turn the ignition of my car on with my right hand so I have yeah. to do it with my left and then get into the car there's just small silly things that yeah. that I can't do that other people will experience it, can't do it otherwise, but they'll find different ways of doing it. During my challenge, I got many messages from parents whose kids have a disability, asking me for advice on what it was like for me growing up. To be honest, I didn't know what to say. So I wanted to use this documentary to answer some of those questions and best tell my story. If it helps even one young kid, that's enough for me. The truth is, everyone has different attitudes and experiences with their disability. The important thing is you learn to make adaptions that best suit you and your life. Develop coping mechanisms that best work for you, and if at all possible, try to learn to live with your disability. Don't let it define you. I'm still young enough, and I've got so many goals that I've yet to achieve. I still have to constantly work hard every day. My journey is only really beginning. As they say, anything you really want in life doesn't come easy, but if you believe it, you will achieve it. 
My name is Kieran Noble. I'm 22. I have cerebral palsy. I'm just a normal person. My disability is just part of who I am. This is the next step for me in my life. Be the best version of yourself. The next step was a TUD production put together by final year journalism student Kieran Noble.